Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hate to say I told you so, but hell, I told you so. I told you the playing format was a good thing. I told you that Lakers v. Warriors would be a great thing, and it was. That might not have been an actual playoff game, but it sure as hell felt like one. Hell, that felt like a game seven, because that pretty much had everything that you could ever hope for. Steph going off, despite the Lakers throwing everything they had at him, he still got his. Draymond putting on a defensive clinic. Andrew Wiggins busting his ass. AD coming up big in the second half. Frank Vogel showing a big brass set. Alex Caruso being the legend that I always say that he is. And LeBron hitting an absolute bomb to ice it. In other words, let me repeat. Damn, that was nice. And if you had any doubt as to whether or not the Warriors are for real, they are for real. And they're still dangerous as hell, even without Clay and KD. And last night, it wasn't just Steph going supernova, although he did. He got his, despite the Lakers running everybody and everything they had at him. Steph still got his. But that was not all. And it wasn't just Draymond dominating in the way that only Draymond can. It was about other guys stepping up. It was about Jordan Poole and JTA. It was about Steve Kerr making the moves that had to be made. That was not a Golden State team that was just happy to be there. They weren't feeling like they were playing with house money. They were there to beat the house. They were there to kick some Laker ass. And it looked like that's exactly what was going to happen. Which is why I said trying to avoid the Lakers was a mistake. Remember the Clippers and others doing everything they could to avoid playing the Lakers for as long as they could? I said that was a mistake. You don't want to do that. You do not want to do that. You want to get them early, not late. You want to get them when they're still knocking off the rust. You want to get them when they haven't found their legs yet. That was L.A. in the first half. Did you see how bad they were in the first half? You see how much trouble LeBron, AD, and Dennis Schroeder were having in the first half. They were not right. None of them. Neither was Andre Drummond, which is why Golden State went at him time and time and time again. Do you really think that Draymond was concerned about that guy? If you do, you weren't listening to what he had to say prior to the series. Are you guys almost enjoying the dog? (laughs) Straight like that. I don't know how else to tell you. People have been going at me for for years with centers. They've been going at Loom for years. That ain't worked yet. We dogs, so keep trying it. Seriously. I mean, he is a dog. And that game he had last night was really unusual. Draymond, Jamal, Green, Senior, if you need him. Because putting on a defensive clinic last night does not begin to do this dude justice. You could take the film of that first half. Slap it on a VHS. Sell that for $29.95 plus shipping and handling. Because that was the basketball version of a Tom Emansky instructional video. I know some of you don't like him. Hell, I know a lot of you hate him. But even if you don't, man, you have to at least love. And if you don't love, you got to at least respect his game. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Then you're only here to hate. And if you're being real with yourself, 
The reason why you don't like this guy is because he doesn't play for your team. The guy had just two points last night. Draymond, he had two points last night. Has there ever been a player who could impact a game as much as he did without making a single field goal? The rest of his stat line, nine boards, eight assists, three blocks, three steals. Incredible as that is, that does not begin to do it justice either. Man, this guy is so good at dominating a game, doing all the things that you never notice. Like, when they play again on Friday night, do yourself a favor and just watch him. I mean, like, exclusively, just watch him, and then maybe finally you'll appreciate and respect this guy and have a take about him other than he punches guys in the gonad. Finally. Finally. Yeah, but don't take my word for it, right? I don't have any credibility. What do I know? Take the word of somebody who would know. Ask CJ McCollum. CJ knows. He tweeted, quote, Dre is a really special defender. Yes, yeah, just CJ. What does he know, right? All right, if that's your take, why don't you take the word of Damian Lillard? He tweeted simply, Draymond is a MF. That's a good tweet. And he's right. Draymond is an MF. He's a special defender and an MF, and that's why Golden State wasn't just in that game. Golden State was in a position to rip that game. Golden State held the Lakers to 30 with less than five minutes to go in the half, and they closed out that half with Steph doing this to beat the halftime buzzer. And I'm not allowing Steph Curry to play one-on-one in this situation. Either are they. (laughs) Curry, step back three. Bang! At the buzzer! Steph Curry from downtown, and the Warriors will take a 13-point lead into halftime. There you go. A 13-point lead into halftime. Laker fan, you know you were gripping. Your crew looks shaky. They're playing pretty well defensively because we know this. They're a good defensive team. But offensively, there was no rhythm. Not until they tasted their own blood. LeBron said as much, invoking the great Mike Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan. Until they get punched in the face. You know, I'll say Mike Tyson always said, everybody got a plan until you get in the ring and you get punched. You know, so uh, we did that and it, and it felt good. Uh, wasn't comfortable, but it settled us and uh, we was able to bring the fight to them. So, Bottom line, Golden State gave the Lakers hell. The Lakers might look back on this and say, the play-in is not the worst thing ever. It's actually the best thing because that's exactly what we needed. I know it was what... All of us watching needed, except Laker fan, who is tripping. Man, admit it, car flaggers. You probably turned that game off. You probably already were thinking about how how do we match up with the Grizz in the second game of that playing tournament, and whether the smart move would be to just shut it down in the second half and give LeBron some more rest. And if Laker fans were tripping, the hell were the tanking Clippers thinking. We lost on purpose twice, allegedly, to avoid these guys? I want to tell you something else, too. I mean, as much as that matchup last night was about LeBron v. Steph, and it should have been, and it delivered. They both did. And even if you wanted to get into the coaches, it's always going to be about Steve Kerr, right? Because, well, he's Steve Kerr. Understandably so. Kerr is a hell of a coach. But so is Frank Vogel. When is this guy ever going to get the respect that he deserves? And by the way, has already earned. 
this dude's in-game adjustments last night were next level. And they did take balls. Taking Schroeder out for Wes Matthews late was brass as hell and smart as hell. And so is making AD play the five when you know he hates playing the five. Yo, yo, what's good? What's good, baby? AD, what's good, baby? What's good, baby? AD, what's what's good? good, baby? You know what's good? Winning. Winning is good. And generally speaking, they're oftentimes better when that guy does the thing he hates to do. Namely, play center. Play the five. Oh, and a quick sidebar for you. We're all better when we consistently do the things we hate to do. But that is a different topic for a different show and a different pod. Go to my Instagram feed. You'll see what I mean. But back to AD. Once they made that change, once the coach went to him and said, hey, yo, yo, I know you don't want to do this, but you need to do this. Then the Lakers started to roll. It says something about this game. It says something about this game that I've gotten as far into this take as I have without even mentioning the shot. You know, the one that won the game. LeBron from deep with the shot clock running down and then him rising up and shooting over Steph. James, two defenders on him to Caldwell Pope inside. He's tied up by Green. Throws it back up top. James puts up the three. Oh, it's good! LeBron James from downtown as the shot clock expires. A desperation heave and the Lakers are up three. I think that was the sound he made when he got hit by that truck and dragged. Arr! Got poked in the eye. Uh. He looked at Draymond and told him this. When Draymond inadvertently poked him in the eye, LeBron screamed out. When he went down, he looked at the referee and he said. It looked painful, didn't it? My man looked like, I hate to say this, but... Like he took a shotgun blast to his head. So after he hit that shot, incredibly, LeBron said, man, I I really couldn't even see. You know, after, you know, drape my uh, finger to the eye, I was literally seeing three uh, three rims out there. Um, So I just shot at the middle one. And uh, and I was able to, uh, to the grace of the man above, I was able to knock it down. Man, I got so much respect for this guy, honestly. I have so much respect for LeBron uh, on so many levels. But, but, does anybody really believe that he saw three rims? Anybody? I mean, he's just got everybody eating right out of his hand. Yeah, I, I saw three rims. And I just shot from the middle. Does anybody really believe that? Come on. Yeah, yeah, I know one of the league's strongest dudes ever. Ever. I mean, this guy's incredible. I just incredible. But my man was kind of carrying on like he got hit by an 18-wheeler and dragged for a mile. I mean, they're selling a foul, and then there's that. But, yeah, I get all that. I see it working because it worked. I get it. But I do get that the old man got it done again, and he did. He did. Because he was having a really bad first half. A really bad first half. And he was really carrying on at the end of that game. But you know what? You reach for the stat sheet and what do you see? Another triple-double. Another huge shot at the end of the game. And they're in. For real. For real, right? 
Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. This time, change up. Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is also a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously. And you can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. It comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? Kenny Moore II is my guest. Kenny, it's good to have you back. How are you? Great. Good to be back. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Good to have you back. So you and I caught up early in the offseason, but fill me in. Between then and right now, what have the last few months been like for you? What have you been up to? Oh, just training and content, freaking racing, uh, drawing, painting, trying to do it all to be honest how you doing <laughs> dude i'm good and i'm not doing half that stuff but that's why i'm glad i asked you got a lot of things going on content yes, drawing right. working out listen let me start with the working out and the, the stuff of the team the team has been going through otas and as somebody entering his fifth nfl season together moving around making sure you don't get hurt or is there real work and growth that can take place at that time so it's more so like a learning um trial or session um, and for myself, I'm challenging myself to be more vocal, more of a leader, um, while still maintaining, you know, who I am as a person, not getting off path or, or, or doing too much or too less, but more so just talking to my teammates, trying to get to know them, trying to create this bond, you know what I mean? I, I was telling Kari, uh, EJ Speed, and, you know, a few other guys we went to lunch with uh, the other day before we went go-karting. I was like, man, like, this is what, it, what it's all about. Um, being off the field and actually getting to know you guys, um, you know, I feel like during this time of my life, this, these are guys that I want, you know, at my wedding, you know, we, we're going on vacation together or something like that. It's it's not even, yeah, it's it's us practicing. We're, we're doing the whole camaraderie of, you know, team building stuff. But, you know, how serious are we really are about, you know, how, how we want to do things day in, day out? You know, if I got to trust you on third down, you know, I want to trust you in life as well, so... Kenny, what about that? Like, you always hear about guys doing team bonding events. Like, if you go out and you hang out with the fellas, and maybe you go go-karting, or you go on a trip, or they're, you're at a wedding, or they're at your wedding, I mean, does that stuff really show up on a critical third down? If so, how does that work exactly? I think it does. And, you know, even even if it can be a third down, it can be whatever it is. It can be a bad play. But it's me knowing you of how you're going to take the adversity um, in, in tough situations, you know, whether it's off the field and someone passes away in your family and you just show your condol- condolences to him or uh, if you have a bad play, I know how you're going to handle that play and, and, and how strong you are mentally. Um, I think that'll go a long way. Kenny Moore is joining us. Kenny, what about Carson Wentz? He's been a part of OTAs. What's it been like to see him out there on the field and how does he look to you so far? Um, I mean, it's good to walk outside and see he's um, already in the 
QB drills that they do every day before practice. I mean, we aren't going offense versus defense, so it's not. I don't really have the time to look over and say, "Hey, how's how's Carson Wentz doing?" But it's good to see two out there on the field slinging the ball. Um, looks looks very powerful to me. I get that. All right, so the team added talent to the front seven with a couple of picks in this year's draft. In fact, with their first two picks, what was your reaction when you saw that? And then how much better do you expect the defense to be in 2021? Um, as a defensive back, I felt good to have two um, pretty good defensive linemen, linemen being picked in the draft, um, something that correlates with my job a lot as far as hitting the run game or even the timing with the passing game. So um, I supported it. We're talking to Kenny Moore the second. Kenny, I know you mentioned that it's not like the defense is going up against the offense right now, but as a DB, you know the team re-signed T.Y. Hilton. How important is that for the team? And as a defensive back, if you were scouting him, what is it about this guy that makes him so unique, so special? Well, you you know me, Jim. I, I like to talk about things you know, off the field. So T.Y. is the type of guy that he has the energy that everybody loves to um, interact with around the building. He's always laughing. He's always playing around. So um, he's a he's definitely a team guy, a captain, the leader on his team that you know we all want to take out. That we all want to shape our careers like to have such a guy that plays at a high level, but a guy that the city um, really welcomes with with open arms. Uh, we really like this guy. I think more so my 2017 season of coming here um, is a, definitely a guy that I noticed right off the back of you know, how serious he takes um, the joy and passion of the game. you got to love the game, right? This has been coming up quite a bit lately, Kenny. Like, if you – talent might get you there, but talent's not going to keep you in that league, right, if you don't love the For game sure. and love the process. I mean, is that a fair statement? For sure. I said uh, – I, I tweeted the other day, the harder it is, the more you appreciate, appreciate it. But um, whenever you have a passion um, – when it, you will have adversity no matter what. It's inevitable. And so whenever things get hard, it'll really test how much you really love, you know, whatever you, you, you like to do. So um, if you don't love it, it's easy for you for you to quit. But if you do love it, you know, you embrace um, everything that it comes with for you to, you know, possibly be whatever you want to be. Kenny Moore the second is joining us once again here on the program. So, Kenny, the fans are going to come back. You and I have talked about this in the past, but you're going to get the fans back in the stadium. And it was a case where when they were not there, you had to find a way to bring your own juice, bring your own energy. What do you or how uh, excited are you to get back in front of the fans, be it at home or on the road, and have that energy that they bring to it? So pre-COVID, uh, before the pandemic and everything, I was always like, so nonchalant about having the fans and everybody in the building. So um, having a season without fans, it was definitely different. So now I'm um, I'm gonna appreciate everything that's around me because I know the difference of having them not in the building. So um, I can't wait to have Lucas Oil um, packed out. I'm ready to see a lot of blue. I'm ready to see a lot of jerseys. I can't wait to interact with them, um, and I'm just excited for it. 
So, Kenny, when I mentioned at the very top, like, what have you been doing since you and I last spoke? You laid out a whole litany of things. And I mentioned off the top, man, you are an Emmy Award winner. Now, that's something that we have not talked about in the past, but you won an Emmy for long-form branded content. If I had said to you back when you were in high school that you would go on to become one of the best players in the NFL, that you would sign a contract that would make you the highest-paid player at your position, and you'd win an Emmy, if I said all those things were going to happen to you and I said that to you in high school, what would you have said? I would say bring it on, but uh, it, w- it will be a very vague for me to, you know, s- see that through. But uh, I just want to thank God and my family for the love and support um, through the years. Kenny, what about this, though? Like you, when you've had the success that you've had in all sorts of different areas, both on and off the field, you want to make sure that you stay locked in and you make that main thing the main thing, but you also want to hit these other things. How do you make sure that you keep it all compartmentalized Excuse me, and you approach it in a systematic way, so you're able to dominate all these things. Honestly, it's it's, it's tough because so so first and foremost, you just want to be a balanced person. You wanna you wanna keep things structured. You wanna make sure you're you're trying to hit everything, but you're I don't know. You you just want to stay. I don't know the word for it, but. Um, so I have a lot of interests, and it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what I want to express or what I want to do. So um, you kind of just dib and dabble here and there. You you may start on something here. You don't get back to it until you do something else, like all over the place. But you kind of you kind of want to balance it all out is what I want to say. Right. And I saw you at the Brickyard recently, and you've been to a number of IndyCar races in the past. Right. Kenny, i got to be straight now. When I, first, when I first saw you mention that, I thought, man, I wonder what that is. I wonder if that's like some kind of relationship or promotion. Right. Dude, that's not what that is. I mean, you really yeah. are all about that. That's a straight passion, isn't it? Yeah. So with content, without content, all the social media stuff, I, I don't need any of that because whether I'm in the stands or behind the scenes, um, I think that's just something that I like. It's just something that I'm in, interested in. And so, but I will say, um, with the access that I've I've been given, um, so I just want to appreciate the IndyCar experience and uh, the Indianapolis Speedway, um, everybody involved, um, Doug Bowles, everyone. So Penske, McLaren, Arrow McLaren, like there's so many people that I can thank to give me that type of access, but. So that stuff really does give me a closer look at how things are ran and uh, what the drivers are, are feeling inside the car or, you know, everything that, everything that they're thinking. So that gives me like, oh, my gosh, this sport is crazy. This thing is nuts. So I want to learn more and more and more. But um, I think it's just something that I genuinely just want to know about and want to learn about. So. But listen, access is everything. The closer you get mm-hmm. to anything, the better it is. Like, for instance, you and driver Patricio Award have become friends. How did that connection first come to be, and what did it mean to you to see him get his first IndyCar win this month? Um, so I randomly went to the um, Indianapolis Speedway uh, probably a month or two um, with Trey, and I tweeted Patricio uh, we call him Pato, and he tweeted me back. We ended up meeting up. So that day I, I met him and Joseph Newgarden. And so we I've texted both of them. 
we just kept a relationship from that point to the, the 32 car, car test day. And that day, Pato, he invited me to his first race in Birmingham. And I don't, I don't think he thought I would go to it, but I surprised him the next time I saw him and said, yeah, bro, I'll, I'll be at your first race. So um, it was cool. But uh, knowing Pato has been very great to see him to, you know, compete at the highest level of, of, of IndyCar. And, you know, his first race that he, he won in Texas was, was pretty great. I wish I was there to, to see it, but I had recorded on the TV. But it's just all been awesome. I'm just trying to take everything in one day at a time and, and, and see what it all brings. I think I'm just a fan of it, and I just want to see, you know, the guys um, succeed at it. Hey, my feeling is, Kenny, you are living your best life, but because you've set it up, and you're putting in the time, and you're putting in the work, and you've got that focus, you've got that discipline, and, man, you got a plan. You're working your plan. You're coming off a career-high 80 tackles, a career-high four interceptions. You were the defensive player of the week for Week 14, and another big one coming up. The season opener, in fact, is September 12th, which is coming pretty fast. Kenny Moore the second, my guest. You know, Kenny, if I'm running you down twice in the offseason, you know how strongly I feel about you, man. Appreciate you very much. Great to have you back, Kenny. Thanks so much. That means a lot, Jim. I appreciate it. Anytime. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. If you're somehow not in the know, Tito had decided to run for HB City Council after feeling compelled during the summer protest to, quote, make Huntington Beach safe again. I respect it. It's his hometown, right? You want to make your hometown better. But remember that tagline, make Huntington Beach safe again. It's going to come back a little bit later on. So he set a record by getting more votes than anybody in city history. He absolutely ragdolled our very own Silkbra and 12 other candidates on his way to victory. I mean, he choked every last one of them out. It was bad. Here is part of his extremely humble and gracious election night speech. That's how Huntington Beach steps up! Woo! One, baby, number one! I expect no less. Why know why? Because Huntington Beach loves me, baby. And I've worked hard. I've lived the American dream. I want to give the American dream to every people, every person here in Huntington Beach. Yes, sir. That's how we go. We call us winning. Winning. Yes, sir. That's a pro right there. Check the humility, the modesty, the gratitude, the appreciation. Winning. So after he wins... He is sworn in to become the vice mayor of HP. That went pretty well. I just solemnly was. Do I solemnly swear? I do solemnly. I do solemnly for him. Discharge the duties. Discharge the duties. So a couple of weeks after he put the English language into a rear naked choke and got the language to tap. He was then booted from his first city council meeting for refusing to wear a mask. 
Now, this was in the winter when the second wave hit and cases were peaking once again. Tito attended the meeting remotely and he put his colleague, the esteemed mayor, who happens to be his boss, Kim Carr, on blast for not letting him in. Well, we have our first workshop uh, here for Huntington Beach City Council, and we're doing it at Huntington Beach Library. I go in for the meeting, and Kim Carr says I can't come in without a mask. Now I got to do it from Zoom. Great way to start the new year off. <laughs> embarrassing. He called that embarrassing. You're like, I'm better than you. You know, you know who the hell I am? That was the only thing missing right there. You know that, who the hell I am? I know you all are wearing masks, not me. Why? You know who the hell I am. Way to keep that in house, T. So he's off to a great start. Then he goes down to a local burger joint and decides to wage a public war on them after they refuse to let him in without a mask. Tito Ortiz, who is an elected official who is supposed to be representing the people and small businesses of HB, said this on Instagram about a mom-and-pop burger spot called TK's. So you know every Sunday I always come to TK Burger. So they won't let me order unless I have a mask to come in. First time all year that I've actually been forced to wear a mask. But I'm not wearing a mask. TK Burger, lose my business, you lose HB's business. Suck. So now he's getting TK Burger, which by the way is great. We know it. We love it. He's trying to get TK Burger to tap, too. And then hits him with a TK Burger, man. I'm ripping my business and HB's business. You suck. Lose my business. You lose HB's business. Suck. Exactly what a local business needs in a pandemic. A super famous guy and a politician, a public official starting a boycott against them when business is just brutal during a pandemic. So at this point, local and national news publications are starting to notice there's a big, bald train wreck in HB. And all the unwanted attention that the city council was getting prompted an emergency meeting where the other members of the government floated the very public idea of stripping Tito of his vice mayor status and plan to have a vote on it. He promised to chill out and they took his bald head off the chopping block. Then, earlier this month, Tito was caught filing for unemployment insurance, allegedly, despite the fact that he's gainfully and publicly employed by John Q. Taxpayer in his hometown of HB. They got a word for that, fraud. And the case remains open. I'm not saying that he did anything wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Daily Mail reported eight days ago that the FBI visited his house to ask some questions. If that's true, never a good thing when the feds come knocking. That was eight days ago. Eight days is a lifetime for Tito not to insert himself back into the news, which he finally did yesterday by using his kids as political theater. Here is KCAL 9 with the report. Tito Ortiz is a well-known anti-masker here in Huntington Beach. Well, now his young sons are stuck in the middle. This is Instagram video of Tito Ortiz's girlfriend, Amber Miller, as she's bringing Ortiz's two sons to school. All right, we're headed up to the school. The boys are not going to be wearing their masks today. Miller posted that about a half hour later, the principal called her to pick up the boys because they refused to wear masks. This is incredible, right? My man seems hell-bent on waging war 
against his own city, a city he loves and that he says loves him back. And now it's family business because the girlfriend's involved, the kids are involved, the two sons were instructed not to wear their masks. The school principal said, you need to wear your masks. Yeah, well, dad said we don't have to and we're not supposed to. And then the principal was like, you got to go home. You heard that in the clip. The principal sent them home. This is a thread, a thing. Tito thinks that he can do something and then finds out that he can't and then gets kicked out. It keeps happening. It happened at the first city council meeting. It happened at TK Burgers. And now it just happened to his kids at school. Remember, this is a guy who said this in November on election night. HB loves me. HB loves me, baby. HB has kicked you and your fam out of city council meetings, out of restaurants, and now out of school. And they tried to rip your vice mayor status three months in. Bro, I'm not so sure HB loves you anymore. And then after the kids got the boot, his girlfriend went straight to social. And, you know, she's running his playbook, right? The mental health of your children is so much more important than following these guidelines. Huh? Mental health. Mental health is really important. Mental health is something we need to talk about. But are the guidelines contributing to compromised mental health? Huh? Tito, what says you? In video posted Monday, Ortiz, the former MMA fighter and current mayor pro tem of Huntington Beach, rallied anti-maskers with this message about complying with masking rules. Anytime you possibly can, take that mask up during class. Yeah, those rules, you know how rules apply to everybody? Not us, they don't. A rule is a rule unless I don't like that rule and then I don't give a damn and it doesn't apply to me. And again, this is not just some rando, right? Some rando saying, make me. You want my mask, you come and get it. No, this is the vice mayor. Everybody is trying to get back to school safely, man. If you've got parents and they've been at home, Man, it's a pain in the ass. This is not easy. We want them back in school. They want to be back in school. Parents want it. Kids want it. Teachers want it. Tito, you ain't helping, man. Honestly. For the billionth time, this is the freaking vice mayor. And he continues to wage war on his own city, man. It is so weird and bizarre. Miller says the principal told her the school will set up remote learning so Ortiz's sons won't fall behind. School board members told us whether you're a former MMA fighter or current city councilman, you don't get preferential treatment. Celebrity does not exempt you from following the rules. That's really, that's really what it's about. Remember when I told you that he ran on the slogan, make Huntington Beach safe again. Pretty hilarious when he's in the streets rallying anti-maskers in a pandemic and telling them to take off the mask in classrooms whenever they can. Even more hilarious when, well, frankly, he's using his kids as political props only to get them kicked out an hour later. My man, if you really want to make HB safe again, you'd quit. Honestly. But he won't. And since he is Tito, I'm sure he'll be back in the news next week. Dude, I'm not going out of my way to find these things, Tito. Like, I'd rather not, honestly. 
I'd rather not, but it's on the news. You're in the news. You're on TV. You're on the front page of the newspaper. You're a former sports great. Like, it's you won't let me not talk about you. I'm trying hard not to. I don't get off on this. This isn't making my show better. It's news. I have to cover the news. If you stop making news, I'll stop talking about it. Believe me, I don't rush to the newspaper every day. Hey, hey, where's Tito? Do a, I'm going to do a Google search on Tito. No, but I don't need to because it's front and center, man. It's on the front page. You have major TV stations from L.A. coming down to cover it. Come on, man. Stop waging war on your own town and committing unemployment fraud, allegedly. Suck. Dorian Finney-Smith is my guest. Dorian, good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's great to have you. Thanks for doing it. So you had 15 and four in the final regular season game. Now you've got a few days off before the actual start of the playoffs. So how have you gone about approaching this week? And then how hyped are you to get this thing going? Uh, We've been doing good, man. We uh, we had a couple of practice days. We ain't been able to practice in (laughs) like the last month, (laughs) month and a half, just because so many games. But uh, just getting practice in. Uh, getting in, everybody getting healthy, you know, um, again, because all the games we had so jammed up at the, you know, everybody's getting healthy, you know, getting ready to have fresh legs for uh, this weekend. Dorian Finney-Smith joining us. What about that point you just made? Like, it's so weird, man. It's been such a different year. And early in the season, there was a rough stretch where you and the team had to deal with COVID. At one point, the team was 9-14, and but then you turned it around. You've gone 33-16 and ever since then. How did you guys kind of maintain your confidence and belief in each other when things were not going well? Was there any finger-pointing or anything like that? No, I wasn't too many finger-pointing, but I, I would say guys was, was definitely feeling the pressure just because we knew you know, how, how good we was, and you know, we just the record didn't show. And, um, you know, we had a meeting, and... Uh, most guys, you know, wanted to figure out what we wanted to do this year and realized that we we just got dealt a bad hand and we really ain't, you know, the record ain't telling the true story. You know, we just kind of buckled down and, you know, started getting some wins together. Yeah, I'm curious, without, like, letting us in completely, like, what is said? Like, how real do things get in a meeting like that? Do tempers flare? Are you guys like, hey, no, man, everybody just calm down. We're good. We got this. Like, what's a meeting like that feel like? Um, this is, it's... It just it made everybody take a deep breath and you know and uh and realize that we we didn't even get like no games off, you know, when four guys went out for COVID. You know, usually other teams was getting you know, they was getting uh two games off and we wasn't getting any. You know, we we still had to compete with, you know, seven to eight people. You know, we we had to put workers in who wasn't I wanna say they weren't ready but they ain't never been in, you know, the situations they was in. You know, we had three starters out at the time. Like I said, things are so different. Like the the new normal is unlike anything you've ever had before. So then you kind of adapt and you got to roll with it. You though, yeah, from the moment, like, knew, yeah. Also, we knew this year, like um, you know, whatever team have the least, you know, COVID cases is going to be, you know, going to put themselves in a good position, uh, you know, to be successful this year. We just, you know, we got the worst end of that stick early in the season. That's that's it, right? Like, you have to lean into that. The bottom line is, if we do all these things that are kind of a pain in the ass that we don't want to do, those who do it best are going to have the best chance because, you know, availability is your best ability, especially during a pandemic. 
And then from mm-hmm. the moment you arrive in the league, you've been known as a great defender. I'm curious, like in terms of your approach, what's it take to be a great defensive player in the NBA? How much of that is mindset? And then how much of that is positioning and technique? Um, I would say a lot of his mindset. Um, you know, the defense, there's a lot of athletic guys in the NBA who just don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of athletic guys that you would think, you know, they can play defense, but they just, you know, they ain't got the mindset to do it. You know, um, it's kind of, you got to kind of have that, that want to mix, mixed up with a little bit of skill. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to move my feet with, uh, against little guards and, uh, and tall enough to, to guard four four and small five men. Dorian Finney-Smith is joining us. Good thing, too, right? Because you got a big challenge coming up. You go up against the Clippers, and you have to deal with the likes of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, a couple of great offensive players. What's the right. key to dealing with and stopping those guys? Um, they're two different players. Right. Um, you just got to make it tough for them. Uh, PG, he's going he gonna to shoot more threes than Kawhi. Kawhi just like to get to his spots in the mid-range and just rise up over you. So it's, it's going to be a, a tough challenge, but, you know, I think we're ready. I think last year, you know, series, you know, you know uh, got us got us ready for the, this year, I think. Because, you know, last year was the first time a lot of guys, including myself, even been in the playoffs. So... I think I think uh, we could take a lot from last year. Yeah, I, I try not to ask the question too many times, but it's it's always interesting to me. Like, how dramatically different is the postseason from the regular season? I know last year you were in the bubble, but in terms of t- intensity and how things ratchet up, how much more intense is the postseason? How different is it? It's it's just uh, you could feel that 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 you could feel the intensity, you could feel the energy. It's just it's hard to explain. You just know you just know the game is different. You know, everybody's flying around. You know, uh, it, 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 it feels like a, a tournament, in the college tournament every game. <laughs> right, right. So speaking of the college tournament, Dwayne, I mentioned off the top, you had a really nice college career. You were an SEC six-man of the year. You were a two-time mm-hmm. two time all-SEC player. Really nice college career, but I also mentioned you were undrafted coming out of Florida in 16. Take me back. What was your mindset going into summer league when that went down? Um, I was, I would say, I, I felt um, I had a little chip on my shoulder, um, just because I felt like I should have been drafted. You know, um, so going to some league, I just, you know, I knew, uh, you know, I was an older guy, so I knew, uh, you know, I, I ain't, I, I ain't got the room to, you know, to make the, the same mistakes and stuff that some of the young guys got. So I had to be on my, be on my stuff. So when I went out there, I just, uh. I just wanted my 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 energy and my presence to be felt whenever I was on the court. So. Dorian Finney-Smith joining us. You got to be on your stuff. I like that because a lot of guys who go undrafted have to fight their way through the G League, maybe go overseas to prove they belong in the NBA. But you were on your stuff, so much so that you get in right out of the gate. I mean, you didn't just make that roster. You, as an undrafted rookie now, you played 81 games that year. What was that experience like? It was crazy because, uh, you know, even though I played that many, you know, we got uh, – the first couple times I got in, we was, we was like, getting, like, blown out. We had a bunch of guys injured. You know, Dirt was injured. D-Will was injured. Devin Harris was injured. So uh, we only had, like, eight people, you know, 
available. So it was, it, and it was like the third game of the year, and coach was telling them, me and the young guy, I can remember that to be ready. And we played Milwaukee in. I got in like second quarter, and I played good on Giannis, and uh, I've been playing ever since. How did you approach that matchup? Like, did you think to yourself, hey, man, this is a really critical thing. I'm going to get my chance to get Giannis, and I can show what I can do and send a message. Or did you just try to treat that like any other matchup? I just try to treat it like any other matchup. Because uh, I, I feel like when you're going, you're playing against yourself anyways. You know, um, how many games, you know, after a while, I feel like it's all a mindset. It really don't matter who's in front of you. I mean, once you know the tendencies and stuff like that, once you watch film, I mean, that's all you can do, you know, try to take away what people like to do. And if they make a tough shot doing something they don't like to do, you just got to take off your head and get to them. Dude, explain that to me. I love that. Is it always, no matter what, you against you and never really necessarily you against the opposition? Is it always like that? Um, Yeah, for the, for the most part, you know, that's I feel like that's, that's – we play so many games, you know. If you can't, you know, that's how I self-motivate myself, you know, then – you know, that can't motivate you enough to get you excited to play basketball, then I don't know. Dwayne Finney-Smith, my guest, for a few more moments. Listen, we talked a lot about your defense and how much success you've had on that side of the floor, but you also worked on your offensive game as well. I know that you were working with Damon Archibald to work on your shot in the offseason. I'm curious, uh-huh. you weren't looking to get up a few extra shots. You were actually looking to mechanically rebuild your shot to speed up your release. It can be a really tough thing to do to rebuild a shot, especially if you've had that shot your entire life, right? So right. what was that like? And then if you don't see immediate results how frustrating is that it was tough man but i was you know i ain't gonna I, I, when i got hurt i got the chance to really uh i got hurt my second year and i got a chance to really break down my shot that that year because obviously i was hurt but then you know the next year i uh my third year even though i changed my shot i was making shots in practice i just won't get the results in the game so you know you gotta that that be the tough part sometimes you make that change and you want them immediate results. So I did do the do the year with the change and I didn't get what I wanted, you know. But I just kept kept sticking at it, and now I feel like you know I'm gonna make it every time I shoot it. Yeah, but yeah, but why or how, man? If you're not getting those results, I mean, you have to have a buy-in and a trust. Those are like the two most important things, right? You got to right. buy in yeah, and you got to trust. When you make it- you make a change and you ain't getting the results. Right. You want, you, you want to go back to your old, you know, you want to go back to your old shot. So why didn't you? you? Know? What what kept you locked in despite not getting those results? Um, I would say uh, everybody around me I mean, here they were just telling me, they didn't, you know, you got Mark telling me I'm shooting the best. I was, you know, because they're keeping stats in the gym, you know, in practice and stuff. So I'm shooting, you know, the, the piss out of the ball in the gym. But in the game, I just, again, I just won't get in that result. So it was, it was tough. I ain't gonna lie. Like I'm, like I won't frustrate. I, I for sure was frustrating. Shoot, and it was, <laughs> and it was my contract year. So you know I was frustrated. But uh, you know, uh, everything happened for a reason, man. Uh, it's just part of, part of growing, man. If you, if you want that change, you got to really believe it. You know, and you ain't gonna never ever get the results you want the first time. You know what, you know what, Dorian? I'm not going to lie either. I ain't going to lie either. You literally are talking the piss out of this interview. 
Dude, I love that you were shooting the piss out of it in a contract year, man. That, that is one of my favorite lines on this show in a long time from a guest. Dude, you were shooting the piss out of it too, man. I like that so much, dude. So much respect for you that you just said that. That yeah, was a well, great it was in practice, but it won't, I won't in the game. Right. Right. So what do you do, man? Like if, if you're shooting the piss out of it in practice and like in, in scrimmages, like everything's working and it doesn't transfer or translate to the game, how do you get right mentally? How do you make that switch? Um, just sometimes you can't get too attached to the results and you just gotta focus on the process. process. Yeah, I was I was getting too attached to the results and it was you know, once you get next to that cloud and it's hard to get out of that, you know, then you you know, you you start feeling bad for yourself and stuff like that, you know. I love you know, it. That ain't how to go. Right. Let me ask you about before you go, Rick Carlisle, I love the guy. I mean I just I mean I'm a media guy, but I, I have so much respect for him as a coach and a dude. He comes on this show, we talk a lot. He loves you. He said this about you, quote, he's a winning player and we love him. Down the road, you can even look at the draft now. He should have been a top ten or fifteen pick. Dorian, like I know this guy. That is incredibly high praise from Rick yes, Carlisle. How does that make you feel to hear that from him when he talks about you? That's good to hear that from the head of the snake, man. Um, I just showed you, you know, um, since I've been here, he's been trusting me and, and on the court. So, you know, um, you know, it feels good. You know, also, when I was shooting bad, he was one of the main ones telling me to shoot it. So, you know, all I can do is, you know, do what he say, but it also makes me feel good that, you know, the head man got confidence in you even when you, you know, a little down on yourself. Man, it's fit. It's good fit. You're good for them. They're good for you. And then finally, the Clippers lose their last two games of the year. And those games were against Houston and OKC. I don't know, man. Who am I to say? It sure looked like they were looking to try to avoid the Lakers. Sure, they don't look like it. They was. Either they were trying to get us or they dug at somebody else. Or they might be resting, so we don't know. Yeah, well, I like your first answer better. Like I said, you were talking the piss out of this interview. Did that? Do you guys feel disrespected? Do you feel like they tanked those two games in order to play you? Yeah, I mean, if they tanked them two games to play us, then we tanked the last game to play them too. You know how that shit goes. I'm excuse <laughs> my name, but you know, uh, <laughs> my man. Yeah, it, it is what it is. You know, we 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 want this. Uh, we want this um, matchup just as much as they want it, you know. We, we just have to win the playoffs. Dude, it is what it is, and what it is is awesome, and I guarantee it, man. Everybody listening, just love that conversation. Dorian Finney-Smith, forward with the Dallas Mavericks. And, my man, that was great. That was so fun. So you keep doing you. You take care of your business, mm-hmm. and then you and I can do that again soon. That was a blast, man. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. All right. Matt Beatty is my guest. Matt, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, Matt. Thanks for doing it. So you've won seven of your last eight and going for a sweep against the Diamondbacks tonight. After kind of a tough start to the year, from the outside, Matt, it feels like things are starting to click. Is that how it feels to you right now? Yeah. I mean, we're starting to swing the bat a little bit better, playing some better defense. Pitching staff's obviously doing a really good job of keeping us in ball games. You know, whatever, a week ago or so, uh, put together a really good game. We won a close game, and that's what we weren't doing when we were in that rough stretch. We had some close games, some extra inning games that we weren't winning, and we had a big game. Uh, I can't remember who, who it was against. It might have been, yeah, it was against Seattle. It was the first game against Seattle, and 
a lot of close game and, and late innings. And ever since then, we've kind of been stringing hits together, and it's been a good good week of baseball for us. Matt Beatty joining us. Matt, just for those who do not follow it as closely, what you were talking about was the team did start the year 13-2, and and then you go through a tough stretch where you went 5-15, and but to the point that you just made, it's not like you were getting rocked. I mean, there were a lot of one- and two-run losses, and there were a lot of injuries. Like, nobody wants to hear about injuries. I get that injuries are a part of the game, but when you keep losing, guys, is there any party that's like, come on, man, are you kidding me? Can we get a break here? Yeah, it stinks. You don't you don't want to ever see anybody get hurt, especially on your own team and in around the league. You you want to play against the best and you want to put the best product out there on the field. And that's just part of the game. Um, you, you, it's just te- testing our depth right now, and um, you know with seats going down, Paula going down, Belly, McKinstry, Knievel, Female, you keep Rios. You keep going on down the list. Those are some big name guys that you know. We were counting on this year, but um, with them going down, it's just kind of the next guy up. And we're definitely talented enough to keep winning ball games. We got some really good talent. Matt Beatty's joining us. You do talent and depth, but it's a weird game, right? It's it's always going to be a weird game. As an example, earlier this month, you had a game against Milwaukee where you went four for six. You knocked in seven runs. You had your first career grand slam. You know, I'm curious, like, you have a routine. You have a regimen. You want to stay as consistent as possible. Do you ever have any idea, like, when you show up to the ballpark, that something special like that might happen? Did that day feel any different to you than any other day? potential for something special to happen with the lineup that we have, the group of guys that we have. Um, you know, that game in Milwaukee was special. Me and AJ both had a lot of RBIs that day. Um, CT scored five runs. Uh, I think if he would have got one more run, it would have been a Dodger record, I think, six runs in one game. Uh, it's just fun to be a part of. Any night, anybody can go off. Definitely a lot of talent on our ball club. You know, it's a full-time job, right? The off-season is a full-time thing as well, and the game is changing so much, and you're learning so much about how to prepare your mind and your body. I'm kind of curious, Matt, in the off-season, I know you worked on adding some more explosive movements. As an example, what kind of work did you do, and then how has that shown up for you on the field this year? There's this new training technique. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's with a water bag. Um, Just kind of quick, explosive side-to-side front-to-back movements with a water bag in your hands and uh, just trains different muscles that you're not used to. It really hits on your core and then also just explosive movement with your feet, moving with a water bag in your hands. So me and Eric Yavaron and and Brian Stoneberg worked on that a lot this offseason in Arizona. Uh, I also played a lot of golf. (laughs) Uh, I think golf really helps my baseball swing. Uh, Sometimes when I get bad in baseball, front shoulder pulls out and if I do that in golf I slice the ball a lot so I think golf really helped me out I think that's fascinating you like John Smoltz has always said golf saved his career and I think maybe in a different way like he just needed something to kind of take his mind off that grind and the pressure and he liked to get out with the guys you tell me it helps your swing like is is it good for your mental game your mechanical game what do you like so much about golf Definitely mechanical. It helps me out a lot. And like you said, mentally, it's a good escape. I think, you know, we're so surrounded by baseball throughout the season, uh, 162 games a year. That's a lot to throughout the year to come to the field every day and just be focused on 
of baseball. I think golf is a good escape for me, at least, to get out there and try to work on something, work on a different craft other than baseball, work on something else, trying to, because baseball players, we're pretty much perfectionists. We work so much in the off season, we work so much during the season of trying to perfect your craft. Um, so I think if you can find something else that to get your mind away from the game at some point. So for me, this off season, it was golf to go out there and work on something other than baseball, work on going out there just escaping, being outdoors, and, and being out on the golf course. It was a lot of fun. Matt Beatty joining us, but not in season. Is that only an off-season thing? Will you break those those bats out during the season? Uh, I golf a little bit during the season. It's a little bit harder as a position player. I think you just have a little bit more free time to be able to go out there, and especially starters. If they only pitch once every five days, um, they, position players, you kind of got to – conserve your energy and because and, you could be in the even if you're not in the lineup that night you're going to have a pretty good chance of coming in at some point during the game whether it just be a pinch hit or a double switch um, but I do golf a little bit during the season it's obviously not as much during the off season I got you you talk about as a MLB or you're constantly trying to work that craft perfect that craft if you want to look at a craftsman Albert Pujols certainly comes to mind. He joined the team earlier this week. I'm curious, what was your reaction to the news, and what do you like about what he brings to the team and the clubhouse? I mean, I was excited. Uh, I mean, he debuted in 2001. I was old. Was I? I was 10 years old, not even 10 years old at that point, uh, 8 years old when he debuted. So he was already making a big name for himself when I was still in middle school. Uh, and then seeing him in the clubhouse, he's, he's all, he was talking to me last night about mechanical things and, like, mindset up at, at the plate. He's going to be a real impact, not only in the lineup and a really good bat to have, right-handed bat to have, but just a good guy to just talk baseball with in the dugout and in, in the cage. And I think for the younger guys, it's just – and Anybody on the team is going to be important just to be a sponge and listen to that guy talk. Just the amount of baseball knowledge that he has. He's been in this game for a really long time, and he's a really good guy to talk to. Dodger Matt Beatty joining me for a few more moments. Hey, Matt, you had a moment over the weekend against the Marlins where you got ejected after a strikeout. And I think it might be easier for people to assume that you were ejected for arguing strikes. I'm not a great lip reader, but it seemed to me all you said was like, so bad. Like, what was your reaction to the called strike and then them running you? What happened? Uh, I just felt really late, and I thought I was seeing the ball really well, and and I had a control of the strike zone. I got a couple bad calls the night before, and then the at-bat before I got a toss, I had a couple balls that were called a strike. I feel like I saw five balls and ended up flying out. Should have been at first base with a walk, and then it was a big moment. Uh, faced a lefty, and there was a ball that was clearly outside of the strike zone, and his bases were loaded, and umpire called it a strike, and motions got the best of me, and I just turned around and told him he was so bad, and no curse, nothing like that. Yo, Matt, I'm hanging on, man. I don't want to lose the end of this interview. I'm loving this conversation. There you go. So, like, no curse words, right? Just so bad. I, I said, Chad, you're so bad. Uh, again, personal, by saying you're so bad, I should have said that's so bad. That's why I got tossed. 
uh, just think that emotions got the best of me, and that's about as big of a blowout as you'll see out of me, I guess. I got you. All right, so like because it got personal, right? If you insert your, then it makes it personal. What do you come out on the whole human yeah. element part of the game? Like, do we always have to have that, or is there a better way to do it? Like, if we can break out the robots, are you in favor of that? Where do you come out on that? I mean, it's tough. There's some pitchers that just barely nick them. If you're going to go robot umpire zones, I don't know exactly what's going to be a strike. Is If a stitch hits the part of the plate, is that a strike? I don't know. Uh, there's been some bad calls this year. Um, in the zone, outside the zone, uh, it's tough. I get the human element to it. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly where I stand. Obviously, when you get bad calls, you want the robot up. Uh, but then that's just part of the game also, knowing the strike zone and knowing how the umpire is calling the game. Yeah, robots, they kind of scare me a little bit. Like, I mean, can you get can you talk junk to a robot, or will the robot understand that, and are they going to run you too? I, I don't know. Last thing, really quickly, Matt, like, I love college baseball because I went to a college, UC Santa Barbara, which has a really good college baseball program. I love gaucho baseball. They're making some noise. And they're getting national run, and I'm really proud of them. You led Belmont to the second regional. And I'm talking to a guy who's got a World Series ring, all right? But you led Belmont to the second regional in school history. How special was that, and what's that mean to you in terms of your baseball life? That was so much fun. That was, that was my freshman year. Um, we had a really good team, a really good freshman class that came in. And it was just a really good team. Pitching staff we had, the lineup we had. Um, so much fun to go down to Florida. I think it was in Stetson at Stetson University where Jacob DeGrom went. Well, we didn't face him, obviously. He was uh, out of school by then and drafted, but uh, it was fun to go down there. I think we got extra inning game. Our first game that we played uh, went 15 innings, and, and we won that game. And I think that was the turning – that was – the deciding factor. If we would have lost that game, we would have went to the loser's bracket and would have had to claw and fight our way back, but we ended up winning the game. And uh, Going to a regional at LSU, uh, that was really fun to play at Alex Buck Stadium as a freshman, fresh out of high school. Uh, that was a really cool uh, experience for sure. You tell me I'm wrong. Like, and I know you probably, you've already arrived at where you are and you're done with me, but tell me I'm wrong. I just got to know. I bet you're still boys, even though you made it. You're a big leaguer. You got your ring. I bet you're still tight with those guys you played college ball with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's still a couple guys that are playing uh, minor league ball there in AAA right now. Uh, one of the guys plays for the Diamondbacks. He's in AAA for them. and He actually lived with me in Arizona during spring training, and we stay in touch a lot, so it's we're all excited. I think they could get the call in the next year or so, um, and that would be really cool to have a couple Bruins in the big league. That'd be a blast. Matt Beatty, my guest, Ellie Dodger, first baseman and outfielder. Matt, great to have you on the show. Appreciate that first conversation. Let's do it again soon. Really nice to chop it up with you. Absolutely, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Matt. Good talking to you. We'll see how this guy does. Jeremy, what's going on? Good to have you. Yo, Jim, thanks for the vine, man. Hey, leave it to Wells to call yesterday and complain about the healthiest part of his fast food orders. The problem isn't the pickle, Wells. The problem is that you're double-fisting chicken sandals, fatso, and arguing with Caleb all night about proper construction of a sandwich is like telling I. Ray Craig where the best places are to go scavenging for cans. <laughs> Look, I know you're not going to put the fried chicken down, Wells, but put the phone down, because every time you call with a beef, we can actually hear you getting fatter. And uh, speaking of not calling, Jim... 
why are so many clones pulling a Mike and Indy and only calling once a year now? Lef, Caleb, Benny, Sarah, Vic, where you been since the smack off? Calling once a year doesn't give you legend status. It gives you has been status. Hey, Lef, did the pandemic force you to lay off your writing team? Would explain why Rich Flores is pushing to become Silk's assistant trailer park supervisor. I mean, damn, troubling times for Team Left for sure. But stealing Mike's gimmick? That's a new low even for you, Dumbo. But Jimmy, hear me out, man. Don't give up on a summer smack-off. I'm hearing rumors Vic and NoCal is going to run it back and set up another tandem call with a washed-up Las Vegas degenerate. Don't take it personal that Cal won't answer your calls, though, Vic. Unless you're calling from 1-800-GIRLS-DIRECT-TO-YOU with an arrival time, Kel's not going to answer. War, Caleb, and Wells arguing about something constructive. Like what's more pathetic, the Mariners being no hit on the reg or Caleb's love life. But unwar, the worn-out ring and Caleb's wallet being an onion ring he's saving for later. Wow. This is beef. Let's go to San Antonio quickly. Ed, it's good to have you, Ed. How are you? Uh, Jimmy, doing fine, thank you. Hey, Wells in the 360, don't get your panties in a wad because you can't find your pickles under the chicken. I'm sure that's not the first time you couldn't find your gherkin. Hey, the next time you order your hormone-injected fat-fried sodium bomb... That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Here's the thing. Alvy was looking around the room like, dude, dude, what's a gherkin? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to just play it safe and run this guy. Anyway, he got run. Let's see here. Gherkin. Gherkin is a pickled cucumber. Okay, so you were suggesting that he couldn't find his own junk. Yes, you deserve to get run. Good night now! 